Welcome to Sharing the Mic, Frontline AIDS podcast series. My name is Lois Chingandu, the Interim Executive Director of Frontline AIDS. Over the next six episodes, we will bring together experts, advocates, leaders, and trailblazers to explore pressing issues that impact on people living with and affected by HIV around the world. Frontline AIDS is a partnership made up of community organizations in more than 100 countries. We've been at the forefront of the HIV response for 30 years, taking local, national, and global action on HIV, health, and human rights. We want a future free from AIDS for everyone, everywhere. Will you join us to end it? Now, it's over to Ben Plumley the host of Sharing the Mic. Thanks, Lois. And let me add my welcome to uh, everyone joining Sharing the Mic uh, with a Shot in the Arm podcast. Um, And I am really thrilled that a very good friend of the podcast, Oratile Moseki, is uh, joining me as co-host. Hey, Oratile, how are you? Hi, Ben. I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Now, what the hell are we doing? Why are we doing this podcast? Is HIV a feminist issue? What are we up to? You, you know, honestly, Ben, when um, we were, you know, when I was offered to co-host with you on this this podcast, I, I asked myself the same question because for me, it's kind of self-evident. You know, HIV has always been a feminist issue. As a woman coming from Botswana in the global south, um, HIV and, and uh, women's equality movements have coexisted and coincided um, forever. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because in the North, <clears throat> particularly with uh, an epidemic that was hitting gay men um, primarily to begin with, but but not exclusively, of course, um, it is perhaps uh, an epidemic that is not thought of in terms of its impact on women. But um, I've often reflected on the um the the sort of the truism that hiv is a disease of women spread by men and so i think it's a a, a, a really important topic that we're going to cover today and um i hope you will keep me um honest and in my place as i hope an ally but uh, clearly not someone on the front lines to be able to speak to this oh no problem i i can do that certainly i'll i'll keep you asking the right questions, you know, and also challenging you on your own experience, because I think a lot of this conversation boils down to how you've experienced both feminism and HIV activism. So I'd, you know, both love to hear your experience, but also challenge you a little bit coming from as a white um, man coming from the global north. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, challenge accepted. So should we introduce our guests? Oh, yeah, definitely. So we have with us today um, Joyce Oma coming from Y Plus Global, as well as Vyuseka Dubula um, coming from a, coming from Stephen Lewis Foundation in, in South Africa. Welcome, guys. Hi. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for having me. Hello. Hi. So as have you been hearing us talk a little bit about this question um, that has brought us here today around asking the question, is HIV a feminist issue? Would you like to maybe introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves, but then also maybe reflect a little on the question? Uh, we'd like to start with Joyce. Would you like to begin? Yes, Oratila, thank you very much. Um, hi, everyone. 
My name is Joyce Uma. I work with the Global Network of Young People Living with HIV, uh, commonly known as Y Plus Global. I am based in Kenya and I'm very excited to be hosted um, on this show today. And what a nice way to start. Um, you know, the, the first thing that really, um, you know, got in my head was HIV is a disease of women spread by men. I do not know if I want to get to head in that direction or to have that conversation, but that is something that I'm definitely going to take um, with me, of course, coming from uh, someone who is identifying as as a man. Um, I think the, 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 the question around if whether or not HIV is a feminist issue is something that I've also been asking myself. I've also been asking myself whether or not being a HIV um, activist also makes me a feminist, given that in my... Um, in my activism and in my advocacy, I still speak for the issues that are affecting adolescent girls and young women from my region and also globally. So I would, I must admit that even though I'm a feminist and I should be fighting for equality, and I have lived the experience of a young woman from sub-Saharan Africa, and most of the time my feminism involves advocating for the rights of adolescent girls and young women in the region. So I think it is time if at all feminism hasn't if at all hiv hasn't been a, a feminist issue it is time that the two walk hand in hand because there is no way of talking about feminism without talking about the intersectionalities that the people that we advocate for are going through and hiv is a major issue especially in the global south thank you You're absolutely right thank you so much for that joyce and how about you viseka would you like to introduce yourself as well and just speak a little bit to the question? So I'm Vuisa Gatubula um, from the Stephen Lewis Foundation based in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, at the Stephen Lewis Foundation, I support over 100 community-led organizations who are doing um, health service delivery, gender-based violence interventions, broadly uh, supporting young women and uh, young girls who are struggling to be integrated in society in the sense of fully enjoying life because they don't have um, resources, uh, inadequate access to health services, or don't have access to education. Um, for me, this is not a question to be held in 2023. Uh, this is a question we should have had two decades before today. Uh, because I remember as a young girl who was diagnosed with HIV in 2000, we were having the very same conversation. So I thought after 25 years, we shouldn't be having this question, uh, having debating this question. For me, HIV is a feminist issue. It has always been a feminist issue. And the reason why we are having this conversation is because for those people who see women in compartments, don't see women in their intersecting uh, uh, politics, continue to overlook why HIV is a feminist issue. In Africa, it is given. The face of HIV has a face of a woman, particularly a face of a black African young woman. But, so that for me tells you a lot about the inequalities that are interfacing that young person beyond just health rights, uh, issues around systems of oppression that are overlapping the same, the same person, gender identity, gender rights, sexuality rights, the crisis of human rights, particularly for, for women in, in my region, it is no question that we should be having, particularly in the year when we are hosting Women Deliver in 2023. It is given. Anyone who doesn't live in this continent can have this conversation to death because it doesn't affect them. For those of us who live in this region, it is not a question and it's not a debate. It is a given that HIV is a feminist issue in, in this day and age. 
Well, you've you you've certainly given our marching given us our marching orders, Vu. I I guess the the question then that immediately follows for all three of you actually for me is is just you know looking at the history of um, HIV and the journey that women, particularly sub-Saharan African women, have had to take with HIV. What are the things that you know have really stood out to you uh, over that period? Whether it is um, the challenges around access to treatment, uh, access to prevention technologies, and look, we only have the Depivirine ring now, despite twenty over twenty years of research. Um, you know the the role as patients and caregivers, the, um, the the whole relationship with prevention of mother to child transmission, PMTCT, and and of course things I know that are really important structurally, like inheritance laws and the ramifications of of getting testing. Um, y- you know, to a <clears throat> stupid northern white person like me, how would you frame? how women have been affected by HIV over the course of the last 40 years of the of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, maybe, Vu, it's a good place to start with you and, 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 and then maybe Joyce in terms of, you, you know, what it means for a young adult today. Not that I'm saying you're in any way not uh, a young adult today, Vu Seca. I was going to ask, so what are you saying about me? <laughs> okay. So I think, I mean, Ben, the starting point is this. Women, particularly Black African, poor women, over generations have faced inequalities. And this dates to the days of slavery. Women have never been at the center of politics and even participating in development policies. So HIV came to an existing inequality and exclusion of women, even in those conversations. And HIV exacerbated those issues. One, I'm going to raise four things. For me, what we have seen is that there's been an increasing burden of care to women. So women must take care of their own problems at their own expense. I'm talking about women who have really carried societies over generations to care for their society without pay. And that seems to have been accepted as a norm that women can give free labor and at no costs. That is the first fuck up that we are doing. And feminists have been taking a huge fence and they are standing behind, you know, f- feminism and HIV because at the, at the end of the day, who's caring for societies? Who has rescued many, many generations of young people from dying, including myself? It's women in our villages, in our townships. So that has to be said in how that also deepens poverty. It deepens inequalities where women are in jobs that are not paying because they are caring for society yet are not, not acknowledged. The second issue is HIV. Obviously, HIV is affecting women because over generations, women's health has never been at the center of any health policies. In fact, even ourselves as women have believed for generations that we should only go and access health care only when we are really desperate. Because we've always been seen as caring for men who are coming from mines who are very ill and dumped on us to care for them and therefore defer our health care for later. HIV is still playing within those, those, those cracks because women have, uh, we have allowed a system and a norm of, of allowing women not to look after themselves or not to have access to health services. And that, 
continued even with the generation today if you look at how many young people have access to free health services in a youth-friendly clinic in africa in fact youth-friendly clinics is a, is something that is not even seen in many communities because we have not accepted that young people should receive health care and sexual reproductive health services at an early age but you will hear from those who are advocating for men that uh, men uh, have a poor healthy seeking behavior because the health services have more women who, who told you that women health services are friendly for women and who is dragging us to go to health services because we go to health services, we have no choice. We have to go very early because of our family planning. But we're also facing the very battered system that also violates women when they go and access health services. And we're not blaming anyone for that. So men must also shake up and move and go and access health services and stop blaming the health system. Because the health system is not friendly for, for women either. I'm talking about women in our diversity. Transgender women are struggling to access health services. Lesbian women are accessing to are struggling to access health services. So for all of us, it's also a struggle. So we must change the system and not blame each other that this one is caring and the other is the is the distributor and the other is the receiver. The third thing is violence. The last sorry, the last thing is violence. The violence against women, sexual violence and homicide against women has increased. Yet we we have we live in a in a society where human rights protection should be upheld in each country. Why is that the case? And I think those are things that I've seen and experienced in, in this lifetime that I never thought that I would see. And they are all over overlapping with HIV because each of these issues that I've raised, HIV is at the center. They're caring for people living with HIV. HIV is affecting young women. Violence is affecting young women. Sexual reproductive health rights are not upheld in most countries. In fact, they are diminishing. There's no funding and resources to support, uh, uh, you know, to support service delivery and supporting young women to have access to health services. I mean, Oratile, I, I, I mean, obviously, we really want to hear from from Joyce, but um, what, what is your sense listening to Vu speak very passionately? I mean, you, you, you straddle a number of cultures in the North and the South, um, and I, and I just wonder how you feel um, hearing the, the you know, the. the, the how so structurally and fundamentally health services, social services, economies are not designed for women? I mean, thank you very much. You took the words out of my mouth, Fuiseka, on this issue. As I had said earlier, I was very surprised that this is a question that we're even asking. I feel like as somebody who's was educated in my in my activism in in Botswana in Southern Africa where these were just a given it it you know I think it's also at some point we need to differentiate between uh, raising this issue as is it a feminist issue versus is, is it a women's issue I think mm. it's been both but I think they mean different things and when we say feminist for me it it comes with a loadedness of understanding a discourse that might have not been possessed by the women for whom we are speaking for here but if we say it's a women's issue, Everybody accepts, accepts it's a women's issue, but feminism is a is a power structure into, unto itself, and feminism is different in different places. I mean, uh, fe the feminisms of of the Americas and and Western Europe are very different from what we might articulate as maybe let's say intellectuals in Africa. But at the end of the day, I don't think women are going around in this discourse around is it. Are we practicing feminism when we are doing this? What we are doing is necessity. This is about survival for the women for whom 
HIV is a feminist issue don't have the time or the luxury to be talking about it as a theory. It's just a mere experience. You know, for me, the 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 reason why it's also um, a, a very strange question for us to even be asking in this day and age is for me in Africa, gender equality movements and HIV occurred around the same time when they were becoming hot. So issues, for instance, the constitutionalization of gender um, uh, non-discrimination on the basis of gender in Botswana, where gender was included in, enshrined in the constitution, was in 2000 and in the 2000s. And it's, it was at the same time, those very same activists recognized that women needed power resources, opportunities, um, and voice in order to be able to lead on HIV. They, as you say, they are the caregivers. They are the ones who need certain resources in order to respond to HIV, as we would say. But did we ever consider it as a feminist, quote unquote, issue? Or did we just know that this is women lead in social cohesion, in social capital, right? Without asking for that recognition, without demanding recognition, but that recognition being needed. So, I mean, I don't think I straddle it so much as feeling like I've walked out of one room being Southern African, in Southern Africa, where I grew up and, and started my activism and walked into um, working in an INGO that speaks for these issues and then walking to big rooms, uh, global policy spaces where people are asking questions that for me have never been an issue. So in that way, maybe I'm straddling it, but I, it's unfortunate why are we having this conversation in this way? Why are these things being siloed when they are inextricable? You you can't address HIV if you don't um, also empower women to respond because they are the ones who are responding and leading on the HIV response. Mm -hmm. um, what about you, Joyce? What do you feel in terms of your own experiences? Uh, thank you so much for uh, for that, Aretile and Vu. I think... I'm getting very deeper insights and also getting a bit of, of lessons of what used to happen before and also what is happening now. And I'm quite sad that not much has changed. And also coming in, I think I bring in a different perspective of coming from the Eastern Africa, um, part of, of, of Africa, where things are a little bit different, where people still uh, practice wife inheritance. I, I would like to say that why the statement uh, that um, was said at the beginning of this podcast uh, really meant a lot to me was for once the blame was actually on the men. I feel like constantly the issues around um, HIV are mostly just centered around the women. Of course, we know the statistics are high on the women's side, but probably because we also make up um, the highest population. We also suffer a lot of inequalities that are usually uncalled for and are, are usually going unaddressed. And in my own experience as a young woman, if I walk into a facility today, for example, to ask for a condom, I will automatically be given a whole box of male condoms. No one will ask me if I need a female condom. Uh, no one will ask me if I need a dam, for example. No one will ask how I identify. I will automatically be given a male condom. It's the same thing. The male condom has evolved over time. It's become something else. It's easy to use, but the female one is still the same old, same old. Nothing much has happened, at least from, from where I stand. It's actually very expensive. And I feel like women are carrying the burden of the epidemic. And yes, I, I completely agree with you all. And the fact that in, ever since I started my advocacy as a young woman living with HIV, I've constantly been told by the other seasoned advocates that you're lucky to be an advocate at this time, at this time when there is medication, 
at this time when um you know the world is ready to listen at this time when you know there's meaningful engagement even young people are actually being listened to and i can only imagine what the situation has been like in the past but i'm also in um in a, in a, in a very strange situation where the, even the side effects of the art are largely affecting women more than they're affecting the male counterparts and nobody wants to talk about this there's a recent situation that has been happening in my country Kenya um around the assistant partner notification system where women are being used as bait to bring men to the facility i walk into a facility because i want to take my own health into my own hands and the facility is not concerned with me they're concerned about the person who is not there the guy the man who is not there in the room with me and this has made a lot of young women not to go into the facility to seek care because Anytime I'm there I'm not the target. They want the motivators. They want those with poor health seeking behaviors. And I think earlier on um who mentioned around the prevention technologies and also services not being youth friendly. It is very sad that ever since research started we only have one um multi prevention technology that is discreet that is woman centered that is long lasting that is all those beautiful things but we don't have it in our hands as as, as young women. for to use it because it's not there it's not prioritized and it's still um something that is not being um addressed with the much agency as we as young women think it should be so i'm happy that we are having this conversation and that is a little bit more progressive and kind of the blame has shifted so i'm kind of celebrating small wins but also that women are really tired of bearing the brunt of the epidemic and this will continue to be the case if the inequalities do not do not get addressed and also if feminism and and the feminist activists do not take this up um as well and we work together and coexist collaboratively thank you so much for that joyce but why like wh- why has this continued the disproportionate burden of hiv on women um mm-hmm. what's the, what's going on here what's going on we seka why are women It's a, <laughs> so back bringing us back to the feminist question the question yeah. around the need for fe- feminism not feminism I, i'm i'm a little bit skeptical about feminism that's my own personal idea but the idea of women's equality and access yeah. to power and resources yeah. and decision making and it's a man's yeah. world what else so You know I I haven't given up on feminism so I, that's where I I I'm going to disagree with you I haven't given up because feminism is a movement building tool it, it gives us a toolbox on how to dismantle the systems of oppression it gives us ideas of how we can connect progressively as women's rights organizations in, di- in the different parts of the world it also gives us tools on how do we deeply understand the conditions of women and girls all over the world so for that even though it can, we come from different schools of thought there is a, a a progressive african feminism that we need to embrace because it it really is different from the north it talks about women in the context of africa and i think that can also help us to expand our ways in which we can connect we are unable to break that because i think we are caught still caught in the trap of working in silos because we have we live in a resource scarce environment everybody is fighting for themselves and survival of their own little thing that they are doing so the intention of connection is disrupted by the system that doesn't want us to connect as as the women's waves that are happening all over the world 
And we need to also acknowledge when that is used against us to not see each other, to divide us, to call it out. Because I think the very question we are asking today is one of the tools used to disconnect us. So by calling it out, we are saying we are no longer going to have this conversation of a dichotomy between whether HIV is a women's is is an HIV HIV is a feminist issue because we don't want to be in that conversation. We are in a conversation. How do we connect our movements? The HIV movement must connect with feminists if it's disconnected. If the feminists are disconnected from the HIV movement, it must be connected. That's what we need to debate. The second thing is who sits on the table to discuss whether the pivoting ring should be available in Africa? It's men who are not affected by this. If this if te I'm telling you, if the face of HIV in the region and all over the world had the face of a white man, we would have the pivotal ring tomorrow. That is why we are going to have the injectable prep tomorrow because it affects, it is going to be accessible to gay men who are white, not black. So that's bottom line. It's a man's world who makes the decision, who has the resources, the class of those people who are going to access the, 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 the tools doesn't look like me and you. And those of us who look like me and you, who, are, who have access to those spaces, are in minority, not in critical mass, to make critical decisions as a group. So we need to get ourselves into those tables and shake those tables. And the table is small, let's expand it. If, it, it, if, if the room is small, let's, let's have the meeting under the tree. Because then, obviously, we are going to be trapped in the same situation. No longer do I want to see a situation where Waisha and Nina in 10 years' time, where they are talking about the same thing I was talking about when I was a young girl. I think that that is a failure on all of us as leaders today, social movements, and all over the world. Why are we still talking about the same thing? The third thing, inequalities. We Unfortunately, we are facing a serious crisis. In the next two to five years, things are going to get worse. Most countries are going to go to serious austerity. Then if we are taking a break, if we're taking a leave from activism instead of escalating it and amplifying and women deliver coming out with strong positions, we are going to fail because we now know that the whole world is not going to increase public spending, including my own country. It, they will not fund the pivotal ring if we do not put pressure and they make sure that our, our agenda is prioritized and financed. And that agenda is a community agenda. So that for me is something that we shouldn't give up. And therefore we shouldn't be having conversations that don't matter. This conversation doesn't matter, especially for Africans. Thank you for, the, thank you for that. So what I hear you saying is stay in the room. That's, that's a good wisdom and advice from you. Don't leave the room in frustration like often I feel. Leaving the room, um, ensure, knowing that that division is coming from a place um, that is intentional to divide and conquer and that we need to join up those movements now, no matter yes. the, the scarcity that exists, because right now we're in a crisis that is escalating and we cannot take our, our foot off the pedal. We, we need to connect our movements. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And I see you there, Ben, listening to all of this. What's going through your mind? How do you feel as um, as somebody coming from the global north? We seconds talking about white men being at the table on behalf of uh, of women, of black women, women of color. Um, when it comes to HIV, what are you thinking? Well, I think, and rare for a podcast host, I think I need to shut up and listen. It's the first thing. 
but I also think that um, it, it, it's 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 really frustrating and upsetting to hear this because, um, do you know, I'm I, I remember <clears throat> an article that was in a UK HIV positive magazine back in the early two thousands that argued that you know because we were britain was spending so much money on overseas development aid for africans we were losing sight of the needs of people with hiv in the uk and it was a hugely controversial article and and i remember it because i thought have we not learned the importance of solidarity that we are in this together surely we <clears throat> as gay men in london in new york in san francisco understand that viruses do not respect boundaries, do not respect genders, and yet here we are. And then I think to 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 points that both Joyce and um, and and Vu have made. Um, you know, when we were preparing for this oratile, you and I joked about how do we address male circumcision in this conversation, and it was a, an intervention that got hugely um uh, invested in as a research intervention and and as a pepfar rollout program and i'm thinking what joyce was saying about um you know um women used as baits to get the men into into services right across the board we still don't seem to be able to be putting women at the heart of the of the uh, epidemic it's about um women as vehicles of transmission whether it's to their partners or to their children, and and I think we've just got it asked over elbow, and I and and I'm really frustrated and distracted that we cannot, you know, forty years into this epidemic, how much has really changed? You know, I, if I can just come in, I think on the other side of the conversation, if we if if feminism has a place for men, here is a critical point in time where men must see feminism as their savior. Feminism can save men from themselves. It can save men from patriarchy because that system is not good for men's health. So they must join feminism if they really, uh, honestly, because what kills men in the HIV epidemic, for example, because the face of HIV prevention looks like mine, but the face of death looks like men in the, in the region. And here is a point where men needs to see that patriarchy is not good for them because it it takes the, their right to decide to go and access to health access health care because of their toxic masculinity of thinking that they are too macho to go and present themselves for care. And feminism is the facilitator to say to hell with systems of oppression. You can go and access health services whenever you want to. You don't have to wait for your partner and so on and so on. So they, they, they need to join the, the, the struggle because it will save them. Of course, it, I'm not naive that the system itself does not give men power over women's bodies. It doesn't give men power over health and economic systems. I'm not naive. But this is an opportunity for an olive branch to men to come on this side for their health so that we not, no longer have a face of black men looking, you know, representing mortality in, in Africa. We can have a face of black men thriving and healthy. So, so if I were to to put this to you, Joyce, um, you know, no pressure. We're just seeing, you know, um, Y plus global and other movements of young people as really our future. And do you see changes in the way 
um, uh, your your colleagues, people in your network, men and women, um, interact and are thinking differently, or or and 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 are we talking an old story, or is this something that is still very very relevant for you? Uh, wow, that's an interesting one. But yeah, um, we we usually say that young people are no longer the of the future. I mean, we are the now. And um, yeah, to answer your question, we have already managed to um, one claim the seat at the table for adolescent girls and young women, especially. And we are now talking the diversity as it is now. We are no longer just fighting for equality for men and women. We are shifting from that uh, from that binary kind of approach and. We are beyond that and we are seeking equality for all human beings. But equality is is still going to be unfair. The scale is still going to be rigged for as long as that those who had a head start and that those who are just coming in right now. So what movements um, and networks of youth such as uh, Y Plus Global are doing right now is we are trying to level the playing field. We are trying to level the playing field by... Um, lobbying for more opportunities for us because we are also not going to get out of the room. Initially, it was just the two. It was all men, women. And now we are bringing in a different aspect that, no, we are coming in in all our diversity. We have been oppressed. We have been uh, discriminated against. As young people in general, we have been blamed for the pandemic and the epidemic. We have been denied access to treatment. We have called for um, youth-friendly services. We haven't received that. We are becoming parents, we are becoming everything, and now it's time for us to also have a seat in the room. So young people have stepped up, we are claiming, demanding ethical and meaningful engagement, we're demanding to be listened to, uh, regardless of our diversity. And of course, we are all throwing our weight against, uh, uh, behind the adolescent girls and young women, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, because we understand the, the pain, we understand the brand that they're carrying, and yeah, that's exactly why some of us are already there in those places, because we recognize, we feel it, we experience it. So it is sad that this reality is as it is, but we hope that if global health leaders and every partner, including the men, including women, including all gender diverse individuals are willing to listen, join in, be feminists and also um have the HIV agenda on the table, address the inequalities, because otherwise then then. Uh, uh, we are less than a decade to 2030. We will still be having these conversations if we do not listen to the young people to provide the inno innovative and strategic directions that we have, that we offer, and that haven't been put in play before. So yeah, we're bringing in a lot of new um, experience, a lot of fresh fold, and yeah, we're excited to be at the table only if listening to so, so the flip side of the coin here, is and, and this is one of the reasons Oratile and I were so keen to have this conversation, because it isn't just the AIDS movement. It's the broader women's movement um, around the world and that the, 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 the challenge of bringing HIV into that agenda um, has been surprising. And here we are recording this um, for release with uh, the Women Deliver conference that we're all extremely passionate about. But I, I, I really wonder what we need to do um, uh, what we need to do around um, building solidarity with the broader women's movement. I mean, for example, does Women Deliver adequately address HIV issues? And I, I, I don't know, Oratile, from a frontline AIDS perspective. I mean, <laughs> for those who are not watching the podcast but listening, Joyce is shaking her head very, um, very assertively. 
Um, and 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 I guess before asking Oratile to talk about what Frontline AIDS is doing, Joyce, why do you say no? Why is the women's movement not adequately addressing HIV? Um, yeah, I would say this. This is this was my experience. So I'm I'm registering for the conference. I'm trying to see what the kind of delegate they're expecting are uh, to come in, and they do not recognize uh, you know those who are coming in as HIV activists or or advocates. I looked through the entire agenda. I'm trying to see where do I fit in. Um, where does my community fit in? How are we going to bring the conversations around HIV on the table? And up to now, before Frontline AIDS reached out uh, to say that we are hosting this session, I didn't think we were going to even have an opportunity to bring the issue of HIV to the table. So, no, to answer you, I don't think we that's happening. But I'm excited that this is airing before the sessions and we probably have a chance to bring into limelight the issues, um, the intersectionalities and also how HIV is a key driver and a key player in these issues. Can I just answer you and say you fit in everywhere where everything and all the topics and all the the actions that they're bringing, you fit in everywhere because the reality of women um, dealing with HIV, you know, face challenges in each and every one of the areas that are part of the gender equality framework and the action coalition work that's being done. So, you know, without spreading yourself too thin, I think it keeping, and this is what Frontline AIDS is seeking to do, is bring in partners such as yourselves and others to make sure that the kind of cohesion and solidarity work that the both of you are both encouraging me to, <laughs> inspiring me, to say we need to bring people together. That's what we are trying to do is make sure that, that those two movements are brought closer together. Um, and um, and we're very glad that we, just to say that in uh, uh, at Women Deliver, we're going to be having a side event that will take this conversation uh, uh, further that Vu, Vu is going to be at and Joy, Joyce is going to be at and we'll have Chris, Christine Sterling um, from UNAIDS also speaking as well as, um, who's the fourth person? Just remind me then, Ben. Um, Lillian Otiso Lillian, from yeah. Dr. Lillian Otiso from LVCT Kenya. Uh, also a friend of the podcast. And don't yes, forget yes, um, our very own Waisha Raphael, who is yes. the production assistant for this podcast, is also one of the young leaders at the conference. So we're going to be there in force. But uh, but but Joyce, can I come back to you? Sorry to interrupt, Oratile. But you, so you talk about taking this space, and rightly so. What are the very specific challenges and issues that you see uh, adolescent girls and young women, particularly in East Africa, particularly in Kenya, what are they facing? And, and, and how do we get those issues on the table and make sure that the people in power are responding and, and addressing those? Oh, uh, wow. I could, I could give you a whole list of, of some of the issues that um, adolescent girls and young women in the region are facing. But I'm just going to, at the tip of the iceberg, we have the issue of poverty. Um, as you know, access control is an issue. In this part of the world, young women do not have access to resources, essential resources that matter, issues of land, um, schooling and stuff. We do not have that. You have to either rely on your partner to give you that um, or you simply do not have it. So the issue of poverty has really made young women not to be able to take care of themselves. And that's why we're having issues of period poverty. Uh, we're having young women going into transactional sex and also um, engaging into, um, you know, with, with older partners or we call them blessers in this part of the country. 
um, so that they can be able to survive and they can be able to sustain themselves with the basic needs. We also have the issue of, you know, school retention. We are still in a place in where um, child marriages is still largely practiced. I was just recently celebrating that Tanzania has actually reduced the age of consent in the country to 16. But my colleagues in Tanzania informed me that there is a flip side to this because the country actually therefore translates into allowing child marriages. So young women are, are going through it all. Young women are suffering through it all. And that there is definitely a lot more when when a young woman needs to go to a facility. Um, I'm actually very excited to be having this conversation because I'm a student of gender. Um, I'm taking gender women and development studies. And this is something that has been asked constantly of us. What are some of the challenges that young women are facing in the region? And this is a, another issue that keeps coming up is the issue that young women are not even in any decision-making spaces. Politics. Um, in roles that young women are getting in, they're mostly called flower girl roles. Uh, the two-thirds gender rule has been put in place for a very long time, but Kenya doesn't even meet um, that threshold ever, even though we believe uh, we are, sm are smoothly transitioning into uh, trusting women leadership. We have an extra docket for women um, called the, the women representatives. While this office is there, it's a decorative office, it's honorary, they do not have enough resources to implement anything. So... This is a constant evolution that young women in the region are still facing. You want to get into the spaces of power, but your engagement still remains tokenistic. You want to speak on behalf of your of, of other things, um, but your your engagement is still, young people are not being trusted enough to be listened to. So these are some of the things that we are trying to call out. We are trying to call everybody in to work with us and partner with us as young advocates. Because we tried calling out and they ended up sidelining us. So it's uh, it's it's very interesting. But yeah, but I could tell you a lot more of what young women are facing. But I think I'd leave it at those two because that's what we that what brings up all these issues that we are going through. Yeah. We have radio silence, Sorotile. What are your thoughts? What should we be asking our guests? I'm just deeply satisfied with this conversation. <laughs> and I was just thinking kind of a little bit impromptu to think a, a bit of visioning what could be possible. What I really like about the reflection from the two of you is there's such continuity around the history of feminism and the HIME movement and the position around ensuring that there is a deep solidarity between movements from the past and a continuation of that articulated through how you've described this reinterpretation of equality for all that does not try and deny the, the inequalities that exist, but kind of acknowledges that uh, whether it's racism, whether it is feminism, um, it's not a zero-sum myth is what I'm, I'm trying to understand more and more. It doesn't mean because one has more space, others have less space. It actually is harming um patriarchy is ha harming everybody equally hiv is harming you know if we end aids for for men for women we're ending aids for for men as well so it's not a zero-sum myth and i think people need to remember that the zero-sum myth as a concept in all of these issues social issues is very intentional and it is meant to cause friction and divides between people so i'm very happy to hear that there is a continuity of articulation between the past the present and the future of these movements. But could we vision a little bit, what could be possible if we could join up movements? Because 
we've spoken only about two movements, but there are many others. There's ones around anti-racism, there's climate change activism, there's HIV, there's feminism. What could be possible if we could join up these movements? What do you think, Vu? I think there's there's work to be done to connect first by acknowledging that even, even if we are coming together, we are not asking movements to disband or to leave their core business. But we need to find one, find one or two things that connect us. For example, it, mentioning uh, climate justice, there's, there's an impact of climate change in health. And how does that impact HIV services? And just go in that chain with one issue that connects us. And then movements can continue to do their other work. But at the same time, there must be one thing that connects us. The reason why that is important is we can't continue in the silo because the silo is fracturing us. The silo is polarizing our politics. The silo is disconnecting us. And I think by intentionally connecting, it allows us to, to really, our vision will be diverse, complex, intersectional, because we are dealing with complex crisis. And that complex crisis allows all of these deep heads and you know people who are committed to social justice to imagine how, how do we arrive at social justice and what is the process of getting there? Because even where today, the, the, the very thing we're benefiting from, which is access to affordable uh, antiretrovirals, was something that was imagined by a multi-sectoral group of people. It wasn't one group of people, just those who are HIV positive who came together. It is people who said, this issue of affordability cuts across all struggles. It's not just an HIV struggle. We need to find that moment. But... Who is going to create that convening? Because it takes one meeting to give birth to a bigger meeting, to give birth to a larger wave. We need to start somewhere. If Women Deliver is that point for women's rights organizations, for the queer movement to come together, for the climate uh, justice groups to come together on the issue where it affects all of us, where there is a crossroad, when we're at the center, all of us, we need to do it. But I think all of us today, that yes, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be naive, thinking we are not exhausted. All of us are exhausted, so we need more joys and many Waishas and Beninas to come to this conversation. This is not a conversation for the older generation alone. It's an intergenerational generation the conversation because the the life we live today. Yes, we are still active in society today, but the world we are living, Joyce, and the world we are living, Waisha, is what I'm concerned about. What is the world we are living? our next generation and the generation before. And what do I do today to change that world? Because we are still active and messing up the world today. So I think we have to start somewhere. Let's convene at Women Deliver. It's right here. Here is a moment for an intergenerational discussion and then make a plan in how do we bring others. The queer movement must come in this conversation. When people or queer people are attacked in Uganda, it is a direct attack to women, to sexual reproductive rights. It is an attack to everybody, marginalized communities of the world, disability people, dis disabled people, young people, mothers, grandmothers. It is an attack on all of us because for as long as we allow this decline in, in, in social cohesion, this decline in solidarity, the, the powers of the world will, would have achieved exactly what they wanted to devise us, divide us and isolate us in little corners where we have nobody to, to help us. And Uganda is one example. How are we going to make sure that that country bows to the people's pressure? 
and what type of, what type of people's pressure are we brewing and building to ensure that we don't allow this to happen to anybody. Vu, I just want to dive in and, and, and not distract us, but you mentioned the queer movement. How do our trans brothers and sisters fit into HIV as a feminist issue? Our queer brothers are feminists, as far as I know, because they too are struggling with issues of equality and they are also living in the fault lines of oppression. And I think anyone in the queer movement who does not see themselves as an act, as, as a feminist, it would be it would be odd for me. I see myself as part of the queer movement. We are all affected by the very same thing that does not allow us to have bodily autonomy, that doesn't allow us to 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 live freely in our bodies and in society. And if there is a, no one who's anyone who thinks they are on the other side, I think we need to have that conversation. How did we arrive there? Because the rights, the sexual reproductive rights and of people in Uganda is my right. My right to exist is affected. Their right to exist is affected. And therefore, that's my, my issue. And I think anyone in that group, if there's anyone who thinks that they are not, I'm not also naive that there is divisions in how do we position ourselves. That's fine. That's okay. There's no movement that will agree on everything. Let's find that common thing that we all agree on. And we work on the things that we can all work together. The rest, we'll figure, we'll figure it out. But let's find one commonality and a shared sense of the problem so that we can have a shared sense of collective action. How do we get there? Joyce, I, it, oh, sorry. Go yeah, go I was ahead, just going to say, I was actually going to say just what you were saying back to Joyce a little bit, that your equality, your equality cons idea, no, it's not, not even an idea, it's it's a wisdom, it's it's such a great tool because I think it's bringing up what you're saying is what is that intersection is that it's it's, a, it's an equality movement. Yeah. It, that's the common interest because it has common um, enemies at that intersection. Um, is, anything coming to mind for you, Joyce, on this on this topic? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm one officially looking forward to Women Deliver now because then... Uh, um, the, the, the intersection that we're looking for is me. I'm a human being. And that means that the issues that are affecting others are also likely going to affect me. Uh, before I'm a, um, the, a, a young woman from sub-Saharan Africa, before I'm a young woman living with HIV, I will still be affected by climate change. I will be affected by you know, the criminalization that is affecting the queer communities in a neighboring country, which is almost becoming Kenya, by the way, because um, our legislators have also tabled an almost similar bill. So it's a wave that is going on. And what is affecting the others is also likely to affect me. So I'm sharing a vision where um, we have a common understanding. We no longer want to work in silos, but we want to work together. We no longer are questioning whether or not we are uh, we have the same mission or we have the same vision for this, but we are all working in response and ensuring that one thing is, is for sure. Human rights are met, man or woman, gender diverse communities, sexual minorities, whoever, trans or not, uh, or cis, everybody gets to experience um, the highest attainable standards of health. I think that's the first thing that usually suffers. And everybody gets to, uh, you know, be safe in their own communities, in their own countries and in their own lives. So I'm really sharing the vision. I've learned a lot and I'm really, really looking forward to hearing what uh, you know, the climate activists are also bringing in so that we stop playing this blame game, you know, playing, blaming each other that you're the reason why this is happening, you're the reason why this is happening. But we are now working, we all agree a problem has happened 
And a, a problem has happened for the past four decades. That's why we have not been able yeah. to address HIV. Now we are talking about inequalities and ending inequalities in the current uh, global aid strategy. If you want to end inequalities, then we need to go back to the drawing board. Agreed that we had fault. Agreed that we uh, there were some who were more advantaged than others, those who oppressed others. And it's time to move forward and move forward as a team with all being with one underlying factor that we're all humans and we are deserving and entitled to it all. Yeah, thank you. Wow, Joyce. I mean, I think that is really, really instructive and I think a real roadmap for all of us. I'm I'm going to reflect very much on what you've what you've just set out as an agenda. Um, wow. Well, Oratile, I, I noticed that we're at the top of the hour and um, final reflections, final thoughts. Yes. Final thoughts is I, I enter this conversation quite skeptical and, and a little bit frustrated. I think a lot of a lot of us are, are feeling that the conflict, the, the divisions between movements, the desperation of the crisis that looms, we're in one. We will continue to be in an, a, 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 a you know growing crisis in the plural. Um, but feeling now quite inspired and motivated by this conversation that, we, that we've had with our, our panelists today and a little bit jealous that I'm not going to be at Women Deliver. <laughs> but enjoy and have lots of fun. <laughs> and I'd love to hear back after. I know you're going to be doing Vox Pop, Pops and you're going to be doing a lot of blogging and a lot of other comms specials. So I, I look forward to seeing that. So what a lovely way, Oratile, to set up a Shot in the Arm podcast at Women Deliver. Waisha uh, will be there when we will be doing, um, uh, as you say, Vox Pops, and um, she'll be reporting for us from the conference. So, yeah, super. Well, look, it just remains then for me to add my thanks to um, Vyuseka Dabula, to... Um, to Joyce Uma and, of course, Oratili Maseki to you. And I'm looking forward to future podcasts where we can get into some more good trouble. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to the Frontline AIDS team, to Ali Liu, to Suzanne Fishamari. Um, uh, thanks also, of course, to our production team at A Shot in the Arm podcast, headed up by Eric Espera, our director and producer, Waisha Raphael and our summer intern, Will Lansdale. And then finally, a big thanks to you, our viewers and listeners. We really appreciate all your comments and suggestions. You can find us wherever you download your podcasts and, of course, on our YouTube channel. Have a great week and a safe week, everybody. Thank you. Me too. <laughs>